Hey, it's another edition of the County 10 Podcast featuring Wyoming Game and Fish. I'm Shireen Herrera, Renee Shell in the house. Hey, Shireen. Glad to be here today. I brought Nissa Whitford with me. She's our sage grouse, sage brush biologist. Well, just, okay. Yeah, the longest title ever. <laughs> I can't say that five times fast. Hey, Anissa, it's good to, good to have you here. It's your first time on the County 10 Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about everything sage grouse from winter survival to lecking season to what is a sage grouse to what is lecking season and more. Nissa, let's kind of start from the get-go and Renee as well with what Wyoming Game and Fish uh, has to do with sage grouse. Yeah, well, Nissa is our sage grouse program at the moment, um, holding it down and she is doing an amazing job. And, you know, this winter, I mean, every winter, I think, you know, sage grouse are kind of doing doing things that other animals can't. Um, but this winter in particular, with the heavier snows, um, we know that, and we'll get into some of the lek viewing um, guides and ethics, we know that it might be a little bit more difficult to get out there this year. But yeah, I'd love, Nissa just to start by talking about, you know, kind of what are they, what are they doing in winter? What happens? Yeah, so sage grouse typically have really high winter survival. They eat sage brush in the winter, which is toxic to us, but they um, can digest the leaves of the sagebrush plant. Um, it contains uh, terpenoids, which are basically the same chemicals that are in turpentine, so we definitely don't want to eat that. And so they'll digest that, and then they excrete those as like these little black, they're called sequel droppings, but these like little black miniature cow pies. So that's how they're kind of clearing those chemicals through. So they're hunkered down, they're eating the sagebrush, they're really searching out those windswept ridges to kind of be protected from the wind or whatnot, and just also so they have something to eat. And if it's really bad, they'll burrow down into the snow, like under the snow, or get kind of right behind a big sagebrush plant to stay warm. What are they eating in the summer compared to the winter? Because we've talked about that with deer and it being kind of the analogy of the box of cereal. So, you know, in the summer, they've got this, all the cereal that's in the box. Well, when it comes to winter, they're eating kind of that box with the sagebrush. Is that kind of the same thing with yeah. the sage grouse? Yeah, so sage grouse are sagebrush obligates. So they eat sagebrush exclusively, but they'll also eat a lot of, you know, forbs, kind of those, you know, wonderful green grasses and whatnot, native grasses you see out there, uh, leafy plants, little flowers, like they'll eat that kind of stuff too. And insects, they'll also eat insects. And something that I think is neat you know, as an insect lover myself and people I know that they, you know, hate when we have a big grasshopper season, but it's really good for sage grouse chicks. So when the chicks are born, they cannot eat sagebrush for several weeks. They probably, my guess is they can't process that turpentine mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. So they're reliant heavily on the insects and, and grasshoppers are a good one. So when you have a big grasshopper year, you can think about, you know, it being a good thing for sage grouse. Let's talk about lecking season and lecking. What is that? And uh, give me a, a a description on, on the lecking. Yeah, so a lek is a basically a place where the sage grouse congregate. It's kind of in or adjacent to sagebrush habitats. And so they go to this area. They have extremely high site fidelity. They'll go to the same area year after year after year. They show up, the males, and they do this dance, basically. So they'll puff out these uh, air sacs in their chest. There's this popping sound. They're rubbing the wings across those air sacs they're making. And then there's all like a dance that goes with it, all trying to attract the ladies. Um, so it's a very like visual, like acoustic and visual display um, on these communal 
grounds. And you can hear them for about from about like a mile away because some of my leks that I help check are a good like half mile to a mile. And if you're quiet, you know, you turn off the car and it's quiet. You can hear these sounds. Um, do you want me to play some? Uh, yeah, yeah I would love to. Okay. <laughs> so you hear the popping and that's the air sacs. And that's the swishing. That's the swishing of the wings. And you know what's so crazy is I feel like I'm not the only one that thought maybe it was coming from their their mouth, like the vocal cords. Mm, it's in their chest. It's in their chest. So yeah. it's just actually just the sound from the combination of those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, it's been interesting. We've had researchers record the, each male on the lek doing their thing. And the males that are the most efficient in their dancing, like they've, they're moving bet- like through the popping and the air set and the wings swishing the fastest, those those are the guys getting most of the females. Wow, I didn't know that. The yeah. prettiest dances. I do know that their tail pattern, this is just a little fun fact. So, you know, they, they have their tail, the males kind of flattened out and fanned up. And the back, they have a unique pattern. So and people probably know that like, you know, humpback whales have unique tail patterns. Well, it's similar to sage grouse, like a fingerprint, um, the white specks. And so researchers who have studied them and tried to identify individuals will use that tail pattern they'll use pictures and then they compare it back and know okay this is the same individual wow that's fascinating i know Mm -hmm. it's really neat i always have to say this for people and i'm gonna date myself here but (laughs) those of us that watched a lot of sesame street when they were little and bert and ernie i don't know if anybody remembers the aliens that would come visit bert and ernie and they would have these air sacs they would fill up and to this day i am like i think whoever created that must have seen sage grouse strutting it is the same thing people need to google it after you google you know like videos of sage grouse strutting please google the aliens that visit Bert and Ernie. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I feel like I remember that vaguely from uh, back in the day. I don't remember that, but I can't wait to look it yeah, up now. It's a good one. Well, let's talk about lecking season. But yeah, so they they gather on these communal strutting grounds, these leks. Um, the males show up and are very dedicated, like mid-March to mid-May. They'll be there throughout the whole season. Those yearling males, because, you know, they're still young. They're trying to like find their groove. They will show up a little later in April, um, and the hens only attend the lek for a short period of time. They come in usually in April, they um, find their guy, and then they leave to go and, uh, you know, lay their eggs. So, I mean, kind of one thing I'm hearing is that, you know, when the females are gone, these younger males are coming in. And so I know like when I'm out checking leks, the highest male attendance is later in the season. So when you're going to see more of a display and more birds is later. And so I guess I'm pushing for it might be a good idea if you want to get out and view Lex this year to wait a bit. Yeah. Um, it'll be easier to access. We won't be doing kind of damage on roads potentially. And then you should have a higher number of males out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's talk about some ethics when um, you go out to view. Absolutely. So, I mean, Nissa can chime in here on some too, but some I'm thinking of is you really want to view them from a distance. And I know sometimes if you've never been there, um, so we point people in Lander to the Twin Creek Lek, but I will just step back for a minute and say on our website, under habitat and then sage grouse you can find a lek viewing guide so you'll find a lot of these things we're talking about and then you'll find leks around the state that we point people to with directions on how to get there so yeah map and directions of each of those leks and then the viewing ethics 
um, up top because, you know, folks, this is not a normal occurrence for most people. And so kind of reminding them that the best way is, you know, to not disturb the sage grouse. So show up at the lek, stay far back, bring your binoculars, bring your spotting scope um, so you can observe those birds from a distance and not disturb um, their mating. Yeah. And if you can, you know, stay in your vehicles. Um, If you see them, there's a couple things they do with disturbance. One is they hunker down and that's usually if something's flying over like an eagle or they leave, they fly. So if those things are happening, you got way too close. um, And you can kind of note that for next time. But um, and then I would say, you know, it's a good time to leave the dogs at home. Certainly leave them in the car if you do bring them for, you know, kind of running around later. Yeah, but it's such a fun experience. And if your kids can stand to get up Early, early, right? Because yeah. they're real early. That's the other thing, guys. Early <laughs> yeah. birds, literally. Yeah. Half hour before sunrise, up to about an hour, hour and a half. You want to be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you need to show up kind of right before sunrise, and you should, if you're going to the lek, you should stay till the birds leave. So plan on like morning, bring your coffee, bring your pastry, enjoy yeah. that peace and quiet in your car, observing the birds. Ah, so serene. I love it. Is it true, Nissa, that we, Wyoming, have the largest? Po- yeah, we have the most sage grouse so sage grouse the range spans um 11 western states and a canadian province um you know they have the range has contracted a lot um historically but wyoming is the sage grouse stronghold we have you know upper 30s low 40s percent of the population of the range now i know they were thinking about protecting the sage grouse what uh, what's the deal with that yeah so sage grouse have been petitioned for endangered species listing um but they were found in 2015 um, not warranted basically um you know what the states the plans that they had implemented was doing a good job at conserving the birds um but we do revisit those the federal government does revisit those listing decisions every so often but we are um, implementing the governor's executive order and doing a good job at conserving the bird currently and that's what management is all about and that's where wyoming game and fish comes into play so Mm -hmm. thank you for that uh renee anything else on sage yeah i do just want to give a little shout out to those hens that i feel like don't get enough attention because they do all the work so let's uh, just taking it in further into spring right so they leave the lek then it they're on their own they are going and they're building a nest no no male Mm -hmm. is helping Mm -hmm. them Mm, i know (laughs) so the ladies are holding it down (laughs) we were just talking about that weren't we ladies (laughs) Yes. So it's all good. They have it under control, but they go off, you know, not not in the same area as the lek. So when you see the dancing, that's not the area that they're nesting in. They go away from that and they kind of have a little scrape in the sand, usually under a sagebrush or some grasses. And they'll line it with leaves and grasses and twigs. And then they pluck out feathers from their breast and put that down as well. And they have like four to 11 eggs um, and, and about a 25 to 30 day incubation the young hatch they're flying within seven to ten days and then really well within a few weeks and like i said earlier they're eating insects and yeah the female does all the nest building all the incubation all the chick rearing yeah so kind of just a shout out to the the sage the ladies yeah and this is why sage grouse need such large expanses of sagebrush. So they're lecking in the sagebrush. They're depending on it for their winter survival. They also need it for this nesting and this brood rearing. So they need these large undisturbed tracks to live out their entire life cycle. So when you think of all, you know, development that's going in in the sagebrush, you know, Wyoming is a lot of sagebrush. It, it is really impacting the birds. I know you guys have some projects coming up. Do you want to uh, touch on those just a little bit? 
I know that Cheyenne, I was reading this uh, juniper removal, helps to bring back uh, sage grouse. Yeah, so um, I I know that there's been a lot of research um, done, basically uh, conifer juniper encroachment into sagebrush habitats. So there's like some stuff that's invasive into sagebrush, right? Is that kind of yeah, what I was gathering yeah, from this? Yeah, so basically the conifers are encroaching into those sagebrush habitats. Which is just natural succession, right? I mean, we have all the time sort of these habitats naturally changing to another habitat and it's similar to what we do with conifers encroaching on aspen it's like well well the aspen maybe you know are a little bit you know healthier for wildlife diversity kind of similar to the sage grouse we want a landscape diversity not a monoculture out there so that's where some of these projects can come in and and help with that yeah but there are certain areas um that we are removing conifers or juniper in order to kind of give the sage grouse a little bit more room in the sage brush because these these trees and the other tall structures give raptor perches um and whatnot so it's it's you know, when you think of what sage grouse have evolved in that landscape, there's not much that sticks up above the sagebrush. So anything that kind of sticks up above that um, is is detrimental to them. And they show, I mean, studies have shown that they avoid those areas. Yes. You know, oh, okay. too. So then they're, Makes you know, sense, yeah. avoiding even areas further. I know we touched on this earlier, but I just want to say again, like this superpower that they have where they can digest this toxic sagebrush is pretty amazing. And they actually, many people don't know, they often gain weight in the winter because they're so good at eating the sagebrush and digesting it. Yeah, it's very nutritious to them. Not so to us, but very nutritious to them. That's like a superpower. Well, on their website, Wyoming Game and Fish, wgfd.yo.gov, it's easy to find. They have sage grouse data. They have some groups, some news, public involvement. If you're looking for, you know, any kind of funding or info on habitat hunting or other documents, it's all there as well. But uh, look forward to, you know, hopefully seeing some folks out there for the lecking season and being able to enjoy that bright, uh, you know, brisk early morning. Yeah. And uh, again, though, um, right now, like Nissa and Renee both mentioned, might be a little difficult to get to some of um, uh, of the leks. And so, yeah, if we get some warm up, hopefully some of the roads will, uh, number one, the snow drifts will melt off and then they'll dry up. But yeah, if it's drifted, the roads are drifted or they're really muddy, it's not a good morning. Just go home. Yep. Thanks for what you do, Nissa, for sage grouse, sage grouse brush biologist. Did I get that right? <laughs> sage grouse, sage brush. Sage yeah. grouse, sage brush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Biologist, <laughs> Nissa Whitford, and of course, the lovely Renee Shell as well. You can find all kinds of info with Wyoming Game and Fish at county10.com. And Renee will be back with another great podcast. Thanks, Shereen.